You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. Is there anything He wouldn't do for us? I mean, that's like the ultimate. Would you agree? And if God is going to do that, then it means that there's nothing, if it's good, there's nothing that He would withhold from one of His own who walk uprightly. And this idea of walking uprightly is not walking in this sinless perfection, obviously, but just walking in a way, living in a way that is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. There's nothing that God will withhold from those who love Him. In today's message from Pastor J.D., he teaches that if God didn't even withhold His own Son from you, then there's truly no good thing that He will keep from you. Pastor J.D. reminds you that as a child of God, God loves to give good gifts to those who love and walk rightly with Him. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 84 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Let's get started here. Psalm 84, we're told that it is to the chief musician, again, as many of the Psalms are. And this particular Psalm was to be on an instrument of gath. We don't know what kind of an instrument that is or was. And we're also told that it was a Psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, Korah was actually the cousin of Moses and these were his sons, and they were what we would call today worship leaders. They were song leaders. And so this is one of their songs that they wrote. It's a very interesting psalm. And we'll start off here, verse 1. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's right out of the chute, this clearly evident psalm about just longing to be in the presence of the Lord, in the courts of the Lord, to worship the Lord. And in verse 3, this is interesting because the psalmist says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Uh, It's an interesting reference to the sparrow and the swallow known to be the weakest and the most worthless of all the birds. And here the psalmist is looking at these two birds and almost longing to be like them and where they're at there in the courts of the Lord. Almost in a sanctified way, envying that they can stay there, whereas the psalmist cannot. The psalmist is making a pilgrimage there, as we're going to see here in a moment. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. And again, Selah means stop, consider, meditate, pause. 
Verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. This is again likely a reference to the pilgrimage that God's people would make there to the tabernacle and then subsequently the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. By the way, Baca means, the valley of Baca means the valley of weeping. We'll talk about that more in a moment. They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, verse 7. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, verse 9, behold our shield, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Uh, We just, and I appreciate it when David leads us in those songs that are about and from the Psalms, as was the case tonight. I love this verse 10 in Psalm 84, if you would just indulge me for a moment. Because the psalmist is basically saying this, I would rather spend one day, 24 hours, in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else in the world. Think about that for a moment. This is not hyperbole, by the way. The psalmist is so longing to be there in the temple of the Lord, to worship the Lord, in the courts of the Lord, and he would rather spend one day in the courts than a thousand anywhere else? A thousand days anywhere else in the world? Let's just kind of use our God-given imagination for a moment. You know how we Well, when you live in Hawaii, you, you know, (laughs) you do staycations. But let's just say, for purpose of discussion, you're going to do a vacation. How about a cruise? I've never been on a cruise. I've heard that they're amazing, that you gain like 35 pounds on the cruise because of the food that you're constantly eating. (laughs) But I mean, they really pamper you, and everything is there, and it is so enjoyable and recreational and relaxing. Kind of makes you want to go on a cruise, doesn't it? <laughs> but think about that. So what, what, they have these 10-day cruises, right? So the psalmist is saying, let's just use the, the cruise for a, an illustration, a comparison. The psalmist is saying, I'd rather spend one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand days on an extended vacation, on a cruise, in the Caribbean, in Hawaii, if I didn't live there. (laughs) I would rather spend one day with the Lord than I would spend a thousand days anywhere else. And not only would I rather spend one day in the house of the Lord, with the Lord, than anywhere else, but I'd rather spend one day with the Lord than with anyone else. There's no place I would rather be. In fact, he takes it a step further. Listen to what else he says in verse 10. I would rather be a doorkeeper 
in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I have to understand that in that day a doorkeeper was seen as a lowly, lowly position. You're the doorkeeper, not the butler, not the valet driver, you know, the this is the guy that would just stand there and open the door as a slave, as a servant. He said, you know, I would rather just open the door, just if it meant that I could be in the house of my God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than do anything else, if that's what it meant. Just give me one day in the house of the Lord, and it will be better than anything else with anyone else a thousand days anywhere else. Wow. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And I love this. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said to the Roman church about how that if God would not withhold His only begotten Son to die for us, pay in full for us, for all of our sins, if God would not withhold His only begotten Son, is there anything that He would withhold from us? The idea being that if God's going to do that for us, is there anything He wouldn't do for us? I mean, that's like the ultimate. Would you agree? And if God is going to do that, then it means that there's nothing, if it's good, there's nothing that He would withhold from one of His own who walk uprightly. And this idea of walking uprightly is not walking in this sinless perfection, obviously, but just walking in a way, living in a way that is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. I was thinking about this today on the way here, that the way that we can love God and please God and bless God, and I emphasize bless God. In fact, I, I was praying this today, Lord, I, you know, we always pray, Lord, bless me. Well, my prayer on specifically today was, Lord, I want, I want to bless you. I want to bless your heart, God. I want to please you. I, I, I want to, because of my love for you, I want to please you. Now, how do I do that? Oh, <laughs> walk uprightly. Jesus to Peter when he restored him, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. That's how I can show my love for God and obey His commandments. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey me. Be obedient, walk in obedience, walk uprightly. How about pleasing Him? What pleases Him? The writer of Hebrews tells us faith pleases Him. Faith pleases God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. We're going to talk about this when we get to Psalm 88. In fact, I want to not take too much time because I do want to get to Psalm 88. It is, I want, I want to give you kind of a warning for those of you who read ahead and stay ahead, you already kind of know what's ahead in Psalm 88. It is the most depressing psalm you will ever read. In fact, I would venture to say it's the most depressing passage of Scripture in the entirety of the pages of Holy Writ. 
How's that for an introduction? So that's Psalm 88. So that we have to get to that Psalm tonight. Well, here in Psalm 84, it's known as the Psalm of a pilgrim in the sense that it's about our pilgrimage. This is the psalmist's pilgrimage through the valley of Baca. And it has this idea of being our pilgrimage through our valley of weeping in the fallen world, in this fallen world. And really the psalm can be a source of great comfort and encouragement, especially to those who are weak and battle-weary, because it's a much-needed reminder that we are only passing through. This world is our valley of Baca. This world is our valley of weeping, and we are only pilgrims here. We are only passing through. This is not our home. Our final destination is not the temple of God, but the kingdom of God. And that's what this psalm points to. It's interesting. There are three parts to this psalm. G. Campbell Morgan points out, he says, this is a pilgrim psalm. It falls into three stophies divided by selahs. The first describes the pilgrim's hope, verses 1 through 4. The second, the pilgrim's experience, verses 5 through 8. The third, the pilgrim's prayer, verses 9 through 12. The hope of the pilgrim is centered in the dwelling place of God. The earthly temple suggests the heavenly home. It's a place of rest and of worship. The light of it shines upon the pathway and is the inspiration of the pilgrimage. One last thought before we get to Psalm 85, referring back to verse 10 about one day in your courts being better than a thousand anywhere else. Think about it in terms of eternity. I think of it this way, and Peter mentions it, how that a day unto the Lord is like a thousand days to us. So it's almost like the psalmist is saying that I would rather spend one day with you, Lord, than a thousand days. And there is coming a day when we will spend all of eternity with no measure of time outside the time continuum. And a thousand days will be but a glimpse, a mere fraction of a fraction of a fraction of eternity. One day, one day. Psalm 85. Again, to the chief musician, it's another psalm of the sons of Korah. Verse 1, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin, Selah. You have, verse 3, taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Verse 4, restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Verse 5, will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. You could just hear the plea of the psalmist. God, you have forgiven us. 
but now you need to restore us. Verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Certainly a reference to the Israelites who cyclically would turn away from the Lord, sin against the Lord, and then God would get their attention, deliver them into the hands of their enemies, and they would repent, and they would return to the Lord, and then it would just repeat all over again. They would turn away from the Lord. God would then have to discipline them, give them into the hands of their enemies. And this is what the psalmist is referring to. And certainly that is sadly oftentimes the case with us, isn't it? When things are going well and we tend to kind of get too comfortable, we don't rely on the Lord, we distance ourselves from the Lord, and then the Lord now needs to get our attention because we've very slowly and even subtly began to backslide, become lukewarm, cool towards the things of God that we were once on fire for. And so God now then has to bring discipline, chastisement. He chastises those whom He loves. The writer of Hebrews says, don't despise it when God does that, when God gives you a spanking, so to speak, because that's how you know that you're His children. <laughs> because you don't spank somebody else's children. They're not your children. How do I know that those are your children? I just saw you spank them. Must be your children. Same thing with God. God disciplines His children and He has to correct us, redirect us, so that we return to Him. Verse 9, surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Verse 10 is interesting. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. It's sort of painting a picture on the canvas of this beautiful union between righteousness and peace, mercy and truth. Verse 11, truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, verse 12, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him, and shall make His footsteps our pathway. Okay, a couple thoughts on Psalm 85. It's believed that it was written after the Jews returned from captivity in Babylon, after a period of 70 years, which was a actually a fulfillment of a word, a prophetic word to the Israelites, that they would have to have this 70 year period, they have to make up for that which in their disobedience they had sinned against God. So God delivered them into the hands of the Babylonians and captivity for a period of 70 years. And this psalm was written after they had returned. So God had forgiven them. He had turned His anger away from them. But it seems that He has yet to restore them. Here's what I'm thinking. The psalmist is seemingly 
keenly aware of how the consequences of our sin linger on long after God's forgiveness for our sin. Let me maybe just expound on that a little bit. We're told in 1 John 1, 9, it's been called the Christian bar of soap, that if we will confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That forgiveness is instant. It's there for the asking. God is at the ready, and all we have to do is confess the sin, and He will forgive the sin. One of the things that, and we've talked about this before, that the enemy's really good at is getting us to think that we blew it so bad again that it's going to, we might want to keep our distance for a few days, kind of like, you know, our earthly parents when you were really in trouble. Oh, you know, it took a few days. And I mean, you, you were going to get it. But it took a, f- a few days. And the enemy's right there trying to get us to look at our Heavenly Father through the lens of our earthly parents. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask for forgiveness. I mean, come on. You, how many times have you told the Lord you would never do that again, and you did it again? How could you? God has had it up to here with you. <laughs> I, I don't think he's going to, if he's going to, it might take him a while. You might want to just kind of lay low. No. As soon as we confess the sin, acknowledge the sin, and ask for forgiveness, it is instantaneous. You know when uh, Peter thought he was being so clever, so smart, when he was asking Jesus about, okay, so how many times should we forgive someone who has sinned against us. Seven times? Oh, can you imagine? Peter, that's really generous of you. Seven times? Wow. Good job, Peter. (laughs) No, Peter. Seventy times seven. So, for those of you who are good at math and know what that number is, it's 490, but that wasn't Jesus's point. It's not like Jesus was saying, okay, 490 times you forgive him, but 491, forget about it, man. That 491st time, you no longer need to forgive them. No. What he was saying was, if somebody sins against you again and again and again and again, you lose count. You forgive them. Here's where I'm going with that. If we're to forgive one another that way, how much more will our Heavenly Father forgive us? He's a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. Now, there are still consequences for the sins that we commit. The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds. The authors' lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God always in control and forever loving His creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website 
at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. We do treasure our connection with our listeners. We'd like you to be a part of our social media community. Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.